All right. If you've got one of the church Bibles, it's on page 1,230. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Great to be back with you this morning. Uh, Sue sends her apologies. She has a friend that she invited to the carol service that's happening in town today. Uh, non-Christian friend. She's known for lots of years, so she's pretty excited to be there. Uh, but we're also really thankful. In a couple of weeks' time, we've got some friends who, they just moved out here to Golden Grove a few months back, and uh, they've, uh, we invite them along here on, uh, in a couple of weeks' time to a carol service. So we're really pleased that this church exists and that you're reaching out to your neighbourhood and where you might pray for our friends that they, they actually come. We, um, we're reflecting on love, we're reflecting on the nature of love at Christmas time. Let me, let me pray and uh, ask God that he might speak, speak to us. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you're a God who is gracious and merciful and kind, uh, but we don't pretend to fully comprehend your amazing love, but we pray that you'll help us as we... Uh, think about your word this morning uh, to gain insight into your heart and character and purposes and that you might also help us to reflect those. Uh, Father, we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you will have heard uh, the name Victor Hugo. He was a poet and novelist from the 19th century, French. He's actually most popular for a novel that he wrote called Les Miserables. And many of you will have actually been along to the musical and heard the, uh, it's an extraordinary uh, musical drama actually. It's one of those performances where when it's happening you feel like getting on stage and singing with the guys, you know, it just sort of pulls you in. It's a very, very stirring. He made this observation. He said, the supreme happiness in life comes with the conviction that we are loved. The supreme happiness in life comes with the conviction that we are loved. And I think it's true. We all have that deep longing uh, to be known and to be loved. 
But love seems to be hard to give and it also seems to be hard to keep. Uh, the whole notion of exploring love, it's embedded in popular culture. You only need to listen to the, uh, the songs on the radio. In fact, listen to them for the last five decades and you get exactly the same theme in every decade. Let me remind you of some of those, some, some of you who are old enough to remember. In the 60s, we sang, all you need is love. Who was that? Beatles, see the old people know, that's true, okay. And then they, they worked out a bit cynical, they said, but money can't buy you love, right? In the 70s, we moved on to uh, John Paul Young. You, if you listen to the uh, telecast, uh, I think it was at New Year's Eve last year at the Sydney Harbour Bridge, John Paul Young actually performed this song that he released in the 1970s. Do you remember it? Love is in the air, that's right. I could sing it for you, but you'd be distressed. Uh, love is in the air everywhere I look around. But also we know love can be painful. You get to the 1980s and we sang, Why do fools fall in love? Or Tina Turner in one of her more cynical moments said, What's love got to do with it? Got to do with it, got to do with it, got to do with it, right? <laughs> Who needs a heart when a heart can be broken? Now, of course, if you're under 30, you're just looking at me with that vacant stare, and I can appreciate what's going on. So let's turn to this decade. Uh, Godier, if I pronounce that right, for those of you who are under 30. Godier, is that right? Well, whatever. Anyway, he, he uh, produced this. He said, I don't even need your love, right? Callous man, right? After all, you're just someone that I used to know. Now, of course, uh, popular music is totally preoccupied with love that equals romance. Okay, That's just the way that uh, uh, our culture works. But we know that love can have a, a wider range of meanings, can't we? See, I could tell you that I love macadamia and honey ice cream. Okay, And you get what I'm talking about. But I can also say that I love my wife, Sue. Okay? But it's really important that I don't confuse those two together, you know, for obvious reasons. We're coming up for our 40th winning anniversary on the 2nd of February. And if I, on that date, write a loving card to Sue saying, my darling Sue, I love you just like I love honey and macadamia ice cream, right? I would be in big trouble, right? <laughs> it uh, won't really hit the right sort of note. So here we are, we hit the Christmas season, it is December, and love is definitely in the air. You can't escape from it. You go shopping, and the messages of love everywhere, the music is everywhere. Uh, you, if you're old, you write Christmas cards, uh, but if you're young, you send electronic messages, and at the end of them, you always sign off the same way, love, or with much love, okay? You know, that that's just the way we do it. We get the fact that this is the season where love is prominent. Christmas time is a period where we love being with those that we love. And yet we're also aware that it can be a painful time. Uh, it can be a reminder of distance between those that we care for. And that distance might be because of broken relationships that there's been a breakdown at some point, uh, and it's painful when you hit this time of the year. Well, there's bereavement, and we're aware of the heartache that comes with someone who's not with us. But I want to tell you that 
Christmas is in fact a universal declaration by God that he loves us. It's his universal declaration. And Jesus' birth is the greatest demonstration of love that the world has ever seen. What I want to do is explore that by looking at that passage we heard read. It's 1 John chapter 4. If you've got a Bible, you can flip, flip it open. Uh, if not, there'll be various verses I'll throw up on the screen. They may coordinate with my talk. We'll see how we go. Uh, but what you see from this passage is that the love that God speaks of is, is concrete. It's grounded. But I also want to say that it's full of passion. It is full of emotion. You get both dimensions when you consider what the Bible says about love. So let's dig into it. Let's see how we go. Okay, the ultimate declaration of love, you pick it up as you go through this passage. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, we read there, love comes from God. In verse 8, God is love. Verse 9, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might love through him. I remember hearing a, um, a story about a young man whose parents wanted him to write a thank you note to his grandmother after receiving a gift from her at Christmas time. He was a bit reluctant, right, teenager, but this is what he wrote. He said, dear grandma, thank you for the t-shirt you gave me for Christmas. It was something that I wanted, but not very much. Uh-huh. Now, the, when it comes to Jesus' birth, it's not something we wanted, actually. But can I say, it's something we desperately needed. And that's the point when you hit Christmas. When God sent his beloved son into the world, it was exactly what we needed. Verse 10, <laughs> this is love, not that we love God. See, the point being made there is that by nature, we don't treat God the way he deserves to be treated. We don't love him properly. Back in verse 9 of this chapter, it says, God sent his one and only son into the world. Now, when it talks about the world here, it's not just a way of talking about planet Earth. You know, God, God sent his son to this world, right? The world when it's used both in these letters that John writes and in John's gospel, it's a loaded term, right? And the loading in this word is world equals people in rebellion against God, right? It's a bit like when Crow's supporters talk about power supporters or vice versa, right? You know that they're the enemy, right? And when it says world here, it's talking about God sending his son into the world, a world where people reject God. That's what's going on. Now, when someone treats you in a, uh, a way you don't like, when they turn the shoulder to you or they um, harm you in some way or they gossip about you behind your back or they don't reciprocate the love or the warmth of friendship you're trying to extend to them, how do you generally feel about that? It's not a good feeling, is it? Like it, it's, um, uh, it makes you feel alone. Um, it can make you feel angry. And you can respond in all sorts of different ways. You, in like, can turn your back on them. Uh, you can 
gossip about them to other people. You can't. There are all sorts of ways that we both respond and react when that happens. I want you to notice what God does when we treat him this way. Verse 10. This is love, not that we love God, because we didn't, right? But he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This um, atoning sacrifice phrase, it's more accurately translated propitiating sacrifice. Right? Now, I know you use that in most, most weeks in a conversation that you squeeze in propitiation there somewhere, don't you? Like, it's, not a, it's not a common word, and I get that that's the case. But the idea with propitiation, I'll say it probably like right, propitiation. You try and say that seven times in a row, see how you go. Yeah? Propitiation, the concept with that is that God is quite rightly angry with us because we don't treat him properly. Okay. It's appropriate that he is frustrated. The one who made us for a relationship with himself, the one who has poured out his grace upon us, the one who created a beautiful world for us to inhabit. When we give him the cold shoulder, it is so appropriate for him to be angry. But God doesn't give us the flick like we might with other friendships when people don't treat us properly. He doesn't just sort of push us out of the way and figure out some other sort of place, some other planet, uh, some other galaxy where he might decide to start again. That's not God's approach. What he does is he sends his own beloved son into the world to sort out the problem, to deal with it. And so Jesus is born to take the punishment we deserve because we reject God's love towards us. Christmas reminds us of that. God sent his only son into the world so that in due course he might give up his life on the cross and pay the punishment for sin, for our sin, for our failure to treat God the way he deserves. He substitutes in our place. But you don't really get this. You don't really get the love of God unless you understand you don't deserve it. Uh, I think as human beings, we have this built-in capacity to justify all our actions, to consider ourselves in the best possible light. Uh, but the Bible speak to us, speaks to us about the fact that that is not the case. And we don't deserve the love of God. It's a bit like if uh, every year we celebrate Anzac Day or we have uh, Remembrance Day where we recall where men and women went away to war and gave up their lives because of their love of their family, their friends and country. And that is wonderful, wonderful love. But I want you to imagine uh, that the Anzacs went away right, to Gallipoli and instead of giving up their lives for people back here in Australia, you know, their family or their country, they actually decided to give up their lives for the Turks who were trying to shoot them, right, trying to kill them. See, so if you can understand that, then you get some understanding of the love that God has for us. See, God sent his son into the world to die for his self-declared 
enemies. That's the point that is being made. And that's the understanding of the love that we need to grab hold of here in this passage. It is wonderful self-sacrificing love. How many people have actually um, been to that musical, Les Mis? Who's actually seen it? Yeah, there's a few people. Um, it is, it's a wonderful story. It's set in the um, 18th century uh, France, around the time of the French Re- Revolution. And it centers around a man called Valjean. And Valjean steals a loaf of bread to feed his niece, I think it is, his young niece. And as a result, he's, he's arrested, thrown in prison for one loaf of bread. How long would you think? 19 years. Okay, 19 years in prison. When he gets out, uh, Valjean um, can't get any work because he's someone who's been in prison. No one will employ him. And this bishop takes him into his house. And in the middle of the night, Valjean, who is just desperate, steals this bishop's silverware, puts it in a bag and heads off in the middle of the night. But he's arrested by the police, the gendarmes, and brought back right, to the bishop's home. And he's fearing the worst, right? One loaf of bread, 19 years. What a year for a bag of silver stolen from a bishop, right? Big trouble. They get to the door. The police knock on the door. The bishop comes to the door. And Valjean is just completely stunned because the bishop says, Friend, it's so good to see you again. Right? And uh, the police say, did, you know, basically get it back on track. This man steal your silverware. No. It was my gift to him. In fact, he says, you, you actually left some of the silver behind. Wait a second. And he goes off and gets some more candlesticks and brings them out and puts them in Valjean's bag so that he can take those as well. It's just an extraordinary story. And the police, you know, they just head off. And Valjean is just blown away by the extraordinary uh, overpowering grace that this man has shown him when he deserves the exact opposite. Friends, in just a really small way, that is a reflection of the amazing grace and kindness and generosity of God towards each one of us. A God who embraces his enemies and he deals with their sin, our sin, at enormous cost to himself. Verse 16 of 1 John 4. And so now we know and we rely on the love that God has for us. You see, we're not like John Paul Young, yeah? Love is in the air. You know, like it's not just in the air. You don't just sort of breathe it in. Right? This, this is real love. We know about it. We stop at this time of the year and we recall that God has gone to the ultimate length to show us his love and to restore us in relationship with himself. We know the love of God. But we rely on the love of God. Because it's not that we love God and we've got this reciprocal thing going with God. No way. We are totally reliant on the fact that God loves us. And any love we have back towards God is a completely reciprocal thing because we're relying 
on the atoning sacrifice of Jesus for us. So let me for just a few moments, let me just try and uh, pull out and roll this out a bit more as we think about the implications for ourselves. What's so good about being loved by God? Um, Two things. First thing is this. There is no fear, no fear of judgment. Verse 18 reads this way. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out or drives out fear because fear has to do with judgment. Every single person who's ever lived in this world deserves the judgment and the punishment of God. That is a given. But when you rely on, you put your trust in Jesus' death for you, he actually pays the ultimate penalty for your sin. And then you have no fear, no fear of God and no fear on the day of judgment when you front up to God. Completely in the clear. Uh, I I worked as a lawyer for a couple of years, uh, a long time ago, which means I've forgotten almost everything I learned. But but there is a principle at law uh, that's colloquially called double jeopardy. What it means is you cannot be tried and punished for the same crime twice. Uh, It just doesn't work that way. Friends, it is exactly the same when it comes to God's love for us. When it comes to the cross of Jesus, uh, God himself takes the sin and the punishment of the whole world upon himself on the cross. And when you rely on that cross and put your trust there... God cannot judge you for your sin because he's already judged his son in your place. See, double jeopardy. And therefore there is no fear of judgment because if you have fear of judgment, then you're saying to God, actually, you didn't do enough. (laughs) Your your son dying for sin, just a nice effort, but not good enough. I've still got a right to be fearful of your judgment. It's mocking God at that point. No fear when it comes to judgment because you've trusted in Jesus' death. The second thing, and the, the thing that's really elaborated in this chapter, is the way in which God's love enables us to love one another and to work out love in our own relationships. 1 John chapter 4, verse 11, it says this, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. We love because God first loved us. But I want to show you that there is a sharp edge to this as well. See, love sounds so wonderful, but listen to what God's word says if you say you know the love of God, but you don't pay it forward. Verse 20. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. Now, that's fairly sharp, I think. It's particularly focused on relationships among the family of God, um, church relationships, but I think it has implications for the way we treat everybody. Christmas time, it seems to me, is a time Uh, where there are or there is an awareness of broken relationships or uh, past 
pain and hurt. It's a time when often people do hold grudges, where relationships don't get mended. There are people that sometimes we can be angry with or avoid. Can I say that if you you claim to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you claim to know the grace of God, you say that you're forgiven and you don't deserve it, you understand the lengths that God has gone to in sending his son to die on a cross for you, if you know these things and you hold anger or malice or unforgiveness in your heart towards others, and look, I don't want to be rude or offensive (laughs) at this point, so understand this is what the Bible is saying. If you say you love and you do those things, you hold hate in your heart, can I say you're a liar in the most polite way possible, right? Which I know I can't do. Because that's what the Bible says. You can't say you know the love and grace of God and his forgiveness towards you, freely given, and not forgive and sort out relationships with other people. It's a contradiction. It is a lie. But the wonderful thing, I think, and the wonderful possibility at Christmas is that we have the capacity, because of what God has done in our hearts and lives, to show love to others in a way that makes a huge difference. Um, I've got a friend who's a medical specialist and I remember a couple of years catching up with him and just talking about his plans at Christmas time and he said, oh, I'll, be, I'll be working on Christmas Day. And I said, oh, that, that's, you know, um, that's bad luck, you know. He said, no, no, I rusted myself on. I'm quite senior. I get to choose who works on Christmas Day. And I said, oh, well, that's very kind of you. He said, oh, no, it's quite self-serving, really. I said, what do you mean? And, of course, this is his story. He was a man in his 40s. He became a follower of Jesus when he was in his early 30s. And a couple of years later, his wife, Buddhist woman, um, separated from him and divorced him. His Buddhist family from a country in Asia disowned him and would have no contact with him at all. He'd send gifts or cards, they would just come back. So he was just so aware here in Adelaide that Christmas time that was a time of extreme loneliness and uh, heartache. I said, I'm sure that yeah, we'd love to have you around at Christmas time. He said, oh, yeah, friends offer. He said, but I feel like such a gate crasher. And so I just work. Just use it that way. Friends, it's, it is that time of the year. But can I say, uh, demonstrating the love of God at Christmas time can be so powerful. I was talking to a couple from one of the other Trinity churches uh, just a few weeks ago. And they, they told me this story. They said, two years ago at Christmas time, the church, the Trinity Church they were at, decided not to have a service on Christmas Day. They really wanted to do something. So they organised with another family that they, two families would get on the beach and they'd have sort of this little service and they would uh, just have fun and a picnic at the beach. Day before Christmas, 
Uh, this couple, they were talking together and they remembered that there'd been this guy at church that they'd seen maybe two times over two months at church and hadn't seen, but they knew he was going through a tough time. Uh, breakup of marriage, uh, lots of difficulties and heartaches. So they thought, we'll invite him along. So they did. Invited him along, he came, and they had this lovely day at the beach. And then two years later, right, this year, he got into a conversation, my friend's got into a conversation with this guy, and he said, look, you probably don't realise, but that Christmas, the day before Christmas, I'd actually just, when you rang, I'd just finished preparing my plan for how I was going to kill myself on Christmas Day. I'd just worked it out, and he said, no, I was absolutely determined that I was going to do it. And then you called. And it just totally changed the way in which I was thinking about God and my life and where I sat. Now, my friends had absolutely no idea at all that's what was going on. Uh, but it was a, just a lovely way in which God used them uh, just to reach out. And friends, as you reflect the love of the Lord Jesus Christ in your lives, you are exposing the heart of God uh, to other people through you. Verse 11. Dear friends, uh, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ, since God has so loved us, we ought to love one another. Since God has so loved us, uh, we ought to love one another. Let me pray for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you for your extraordinary kindness to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we thank you for the mercy and grace you've shown us in him. And Father, we pray that uh, you'll help us to both appreciate what you've done for us, uh, to keep rejecting any sense of taking credit for your love. And Father, we also pray you'll give us that integrity to know that when we've been shown such grace and mercy, that we want to reflect that in our lives, both in the way we extend grace and mercy to others, forgive the way we've been forgiven, but also just in terms of how we reach out to and care for those around us. And Father, we're especially aware of that this time of the year. For some, it's just a wonderful season. Uh, but for others, it's a mixed season or a sad season. Uh, Father, give us that sensitivity and care uh, that we might uh, be a family that truly does extend kindness and compassion to one another. Father, we thank you that this is all possible because of who you are and what you've done for us and your son. And so we commend ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen.